The following podcast is a part of the Spin Studio Network. Welcome back to Flourish and Fulfilled. Now, there's not a day that doesn't go by where my DMs are flooded with teeth questions. And before falling asleep at night, almost every night, there is either a dental surgery happening next to me, a video of some before and after of teeth. I have now surrounded myself with teeth. So welcome to the podcast again, Andrew. Thank you very much. We have so many questions for you. And I think the most surprising sort of myths that you have busted for me were things that I would never, ever even consider. Number one being, after I drink red wine... It's not good for my teeth to brush them. Correct. Yeah. So commonly people think, oh, if I have something bad, the best thing to do is just brush your teeth straight away. But there are certain things that once we've had them, we should actually specifically avoid brushing your teeth. So typically anything acidic. So red wine being a classic, <laughs> any wine, any sort of soft drink or fruit juice, sports drinks, etc. Uh, they're all quite acidic. And so what they do is they soften the outer layer of your tooth. You go and brush it straight away and you're removing microscopic layers. You do that repeatedly for a long time uh, and you thin out the enamel of your teeth. They end up actually looking yellower and becoming more sensitive. So the best thing to do is to just rinse them, rinse them with water or something which balances out like a mouthwash. So to confirm, if you are drinking wine or acidic food, it's actually more beneficial to rinse out your teeth than to brush them. Correct. Yeah. Rinse them at least with water or something which will neutralize the acids as well is suitable. Awesome. Now I'm going to kind of just fire questions at you. I haven't prepared him for any of these questions that are coming his way, but I have got a little bit of structure in relation to like age order and then going into different treatments and that type of thing. And I know that a lot of people that do listen to this podcast are parents. So I figured we would start with babies. Do you have any advice for mums who ba whose babies are maybe teething or they're getting their first teeth through? What is the best thing that they can do for their babies? Um, so little disclaimer before we go with babies, <laughs> I've moved well away from children for <laughs> a long like, time with the area that I've moved into. So I don't, I no longer sort of work in that area, but in regards to some simple advice, um, teething is just managing their temperatures and so forth, making sure they're as comfortable as possible. You can use, uh, gels, which come over the counter to help with that. Um, and then keeping their teeth clean from the moment they've got teeth. So, Well, that was my next question. What age should you start brushing your kid's teeth? So you should start cleaning them the moment they've got teeth. And that can be with something as simple as, you know, a bit of like soft cotton, basically, if they're just through or just a very small soft toothbrush, but anything that you can manage to get in there. Um, I personally found that once my uh, daughter's had like enough teeth in there, that uh, some kind of like basic electric toothbrush with a real soft head was the best thing because what most parents seem to find difficult is they try and get the toothbrush in and they're trying to brush around and the kid's biting on it or doing something or they're just pushing it away. The moment you've got an electric one, number one, it's a novelty. So they seem to accept it a little bit better mostly. Um, but number two, the moment you've got it on the tooth, even if they're biting a bit here and there, it's moving. Okay, yeah. So it's creating a, a cleansing effect as opposed to a manual one, which is just stuck there. And what about flossing? Uh, flossing, you only need to worry about once the teeth are at a point where they've got tight contact. So when you see they've got few baby teeth in there and you can see between the teeth, etc., it's really not a big deal. But once the teeth are touching each other, that's when you need to start to get some floss in there. It was really cute the other night. Andrew was trying to teach the twins how to floss their teeth. And instead of just using the reach 
like sticky thing. He had this big piece of floss and he's like, all right, so you hold your fingers here, you twist here. And they were like, what? Like it was like the most mind-blowing thing ever. But how difficult was it actually trying to get them to learn how to floss normally versus using one of those flosset devices? But so they're so hard to find. I've like I've are. gone to like three or four different shops now. So it's the reach. What yeah, I, I'm surprised because we used to stock them and then we even found them hard to stock them in the surgery. So they're like a, a little, they look like a toothbrush, but then they've got the little floss bit, which clips in to the end of it. And why I like those ones is because the, the floss then is at 90 degrees to the brush. So you can just hold the brush to the back of the mouth and clean like that. Mm. Whereas a lot of the other ones, the floss is in the same direction as the stick. So it's harder to get access. Yeah. They're really good, those reach ones. Uh, what about toothpaste and kids brushing their teeth and then spitting it out? I think it was last week in here that we were actually having this conversation about um, it being a myth that you're supposed to spit out your toothpaste. No, this- you do want to spit it out. Okay. So yeah, so toothpaste isn't designed for eating. Um, so the, the most <laughs> I'll important- stop, I'll stop eating <laughs> tubes then. <laughs> The, the important part, like one of the important parts in toothpaste is the fluoride. So fluoride physically makes the outer part of your teeth harder and more acid resistant. Um, so when you've got children, uh, having some kind of fluoride exposure to the outer parts of the teeth is important. But these days, most areas have some kind of fluoride within the water. Um, so at a certain age, if they're unable to spit it out and you see them just swallowing it, you're sort of better off trying to avoid the toothpaste up to a couple wow, years okay. of age. So. Yep. Um, unless they're in a completely non-fluoridated area and then you can use a little bit as well. Um, but then once they're able to spit it out, then you're better off using something with a very low dose fluoro because they still often end up swallowing a little bit. A little bit's okay, a lot's not good. What age should you first take your child to the dentist? So ideally from about two years of age is a good time. So if you're, if you've got a local dentist that you see, um, and you're going in there anyway. Helps when they're good looking. <laughs> I don't even have a comeback. Yeah, I know, you may just go, it's so embarrassing. Um, so if you've got a dentist you're going to anyway, then the thing is you're, you're bringing them in from the moment you're going there with your, for your own checkups, right? So that's the easy part because they're in the pram or whatever. But it's really once they've got um, more teeth coming through. So by about two and a half, they generally have most of their baby teeth. It's really important to have a look by that stage. Um, but if you notice anything which you're unsure of earlier, you think something looks weird, the teeth look weird, um, sometimes uh, even from the point of for some babies from, you know, shortly after their birth, if they're having difficulties breastfeeding, sometimes mm. there's attachment issues related to things like tongue, tongue ties, tie. which can be treated. So there's no set age. If there's no issues at all, if there's no tongue ties, breastfeeding issues, um, and their teeth are all looking good, then two and two, two and a half is generally okay. Yeah, cool. What causes decay? Is it only sugar? Um, it's not just sugar. So sugar is an important part of it. So, but then also the oral hygiene. So you basically have a, a combination of factors. So if you don't clean the teeth, plaque builds up on the teeth, right? So the plaque is a combination of bacteria. When you have sugar, the bacteria or the plaque, it eats the sugar and it basically poops out acids, right? And the acids then destroy the teeth. So if you're keeping the teeth clean, and the sugar is on the teeth, and there's barely any plaque there, there's not much acid happening, okay? But if you've got a lot of plaque there, because they're not being cleaned, and then you have the sugar, so it's plaque, sugar, and thyme, bang, you start to get holes in the teeth. Yeah, cool. Now, is it more important to floss or to brush, if you had to choose one, just one? Uh, brush, because there's more, there's a much more surface area being treated by the brush than the floss. 
Um, so flossing, you're missing a lot more than can, you're brushing. Can you overbrush? Yes, you definitely can. Um, so overbrushing is largely, it's, it's due to time and technique. If you're a really good brusher with a really good toothbrush, you can brush for longer without causing damage. Whereas someone who might not brush for very long, but they brush really hard and they scrape the, the gums and the teeth away effectively. So leading to either gum recession, worn out uh, roots of the teeth, which become exposed and sensitive, uh, and making the teeth actually look yellower over time by wearing into them. Okay. What age can you tell if a child needs braces or retainers? This is such a common question that I know we have discussed within my mum circles for kids. So like around the age of eight, I was like, oh yeah, the boys are definitely going to need braces. And everyone was like, there's no point going to an orthodontist or dentist because it's too young to even tell. They won't do anything. Is that just a myth? At what age can you tell no, that look, a child it, needs? It is a myth. Um, and it's important. And that's where even those even younger appointments are important because if you've got a child with a, a pacifier or a digit sucking habit um, and they're doing that beyond a few years of age, then they start to create permanent changes in the shape of the jaw. And that then uh, creates changes in swallowing patterns, speech patterns, and then these problems don't then self-correct. Mm -hmm. So even from an early age, it's important to then manage those habits. And that can be started from as young as a few years of age. Mm -hmm. For kids who are very resistant and putting their thumb in, there's ways to put in different sorts of little mini appliances to stop that if you really need to, if you can't control it. Um, beyond oh, wow. that- Did your girls have dummies? Uh, they did, but not not beyond about two or yeah, okay. one, one to two, somewhere in that range. I can't remember exactly, but yeah. specifically made sure not beyond a point. And they never sucked their thumbs. No, and no, that's the other balance. Know. Like you can pull a dummy away, but if it's replaced with a digit and now you don't have a, a means to pull to prevent them from sucking that digit, then mm. it's actually can be counterproductive anyway. Yeah, yeah. okay. Interesting. Yeah. Very, very, very interesting. Uh, is there any way that you can prevent your child needing like ortho? So like as a whole, like if you notice that other than obviously dummies and sucking their thumbs and that type of thing, uh, is there any other way that you can prevent? As a is whole, it no. The way so that they are genetically? it is, it is. Cause you've got to remember we're we're, you know, we're a combination of our parents, right? And so you can inherit Big teeth from one parent and small jaws from the other, and all of a sudden you're just got... reading my face right now. No, <laughs> he's literally always, looking at my face. I'm not looking at all. That's, I'm just so beautiful. That's the only reason. Thanks, babe. But it, and vice versa, you can you can inherit small teeth from one parent and a, a large jaw from the other, and have spacing. Um, and on top of that, you can have a whole range of different genetic conditions. So the answer is no, you can't prevent it, but there are treatments that can be performed earlier to make growth better. So, and again, when you're talking about age for orthodontic assessment, presume they get through those early year habits and that's not an issue. Once they go into what we call a mixed dentition, so they're starting to lose baby teeth, get adult teeth in, mm. then at, at that point, that's the next point of assessment, right? Because what we can start to see is how well are these adult teeth fitting? Because what happens when there's a lot of crowding is they start to lose different baby teeth in the wrong order because the adult teeth are pushing extra teeth out of the way. And then what we can start to see is, well, we need to do something to help them to, to, to fit. And so we can see where impactions are happening. Sometimes, for example, like a topical one, like, um, you know, the impacted canine that yeah. we're looking at. Oh, like Kai. Yeah. So, so those that do follow me on socials will have seen the photo or x-ray, sorry, of Kai's jaw, which is just absolutely effed. Well, it's, it's not, it's not effed. <laughs> it looks he, like his tooth is like 
He looks like a vampire. He It's something which is all correctable with orthodontic now as a teenager, um, but picked up early enough with some x-rays as well, could have identified a couple of things that led to it. So he's got an extra little baby tooth, which shouldn't be there, as well as one which has remained there and could have been perhaps picked up earlier removed and allowed that tooth to come And through. I will point well, out that he has previously had x-rays from when he tore his thing and it was never picked up. So all yeah. of this, and like this is the importance of like a good dentist and sometimes it's not. And I know that so many people think, oh, dentist, it's so expensive. It's going to cost me so much money. Trust me when I say do it right the first time because otherwise you'll be doing it like a million times over. And my case is exactly that. Like I, I'll go into that in a, in a minute, but for me, like I didn't even need veneers to start with and I've got veneers now based on the fact that I went to a dentist, I walked in telling them exactly what I wanted without even knowing what I wanted and I only had a gap in the front of my teeth. So that was all that needed to be fixed and essentially walked out with four veneers that were just composites. They broke like every three months, sometimes more often, and I was it was costing me a lot of money to get them fixed and repaired and repaired and repaired. And that's when I had my porcelain veneers changed over. But if I had actually just gone to somebody like Oasis in the beginning, I wouldn't have actually gone down that path at all. Yeah, it's like anything. Um, there's always a, a range um, in terms of knowledge and providers. And, and the key is like wherever you go, you've got to remember not everyone knows everything as long as they are able to point in the right direction when they don't. So mm. that's why some dentists are very good with orthodontic issues and others aren't, and that's okay. Um, and and when they aren't, that's where they lean on to an orthodontist who needs to then be involved in picking up these cases. And that's why it seeing an orthodontist from a young age can help with some of these issues, can help to identify like a, a small upper jaw which needs to be expanded at a young age um, because there's uh, there's a good time that that can be done to then allow space for teeth to come through when that's one of the issues as well. So there, it's always good to just make sure that you feel comfortable wherever you go, that you you feel like your questions are answered and, you know, you've, you've had the advice that you feel you need. Yeah, and that's, I guess, also like such an incredible thing for me, um, going to Oasis like before we were even dating and the experience that we needed within one of the kids wasn't available there and they actually outsourced and went told me to go somewhere else. It wasn't that they were like, we can do this or buy this or upsell me in the studio. It was essentially that this is where I needed to go. So that's really cool too. Now, the thing for me, um, I was quite surprised about Invisalign's uh, affordability and I think that so many people are like, oh, it's going to cost me so much money. What is the difference between home aligners and through a dental studio, so like Invisalign? Um, yes, yeah, so there's obviously a lot of um, sort of home aligner-based systems out there these days where they send you some type of impression kit to take moulds or some of them actually have like sophisticated scanning centres as well, which are similar to like the types of scans which we might take in terms of where the position of the teeth are, et cetera, and then aligners being constructed. The biggest difference is in terms of the 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 way these cases are monitored and applied uh, and the planning around them. So when we're doing something like Invisalign, there's a whole planning process around that. 
and an application process. So you can you can like scan someone and you can get a, a picture of all these teeth looking straight from these aligners, but you need to understand the biomechanics of how this is going to work. So with Invisalign, there's a whole bunch of little attachments that we'll use on My teeth. My tic-tac tooth. Tic-tac teeth. And so we need to do that depending on what the movement is and that we're trying to achieve because otherwise you can actually end up with the entirely opposite effect. So people are looking at trying to get these teeth straightened and what's happening is all of a sudden one tooth is getting intruded. That means it's starting to look shorter and another one's moving in a different direction because the aligner is not gripping it properly and in trying to straighten it, it actually becomes counterproductive and you can end up with a worse result. And the problem is the moment you then need to have something redone, the money you've spent doing that mm. doesn't go towards making your job cheaper. You end up still needing to do the same job you would have from the beginning. So that's where, as a someone who wouldn't understand the difference between what's suitable or not, that's where you're at risk of ending up potentially in a worse position than you were to start with. And obviously now, because I'm dating a dentist, everyone is telling me their dental horror stories, which is quite fun for me. But if that's the common theme that I'm seeing with so many different people is that they've gone down a different route and they've had braces three times and they've been doing all these things and they've gone to this person, now this person, instead of just going to somebody good to start with. <laughs> and, and at the same time, if someone's had orthodontic treatment, making sure they've got some form of retention so that things stay where they are, because we do continue to change throughout life as well. I want to, I want to talk about that in a second, but that's when you're talking about Invisalign and the whole jaw moving, the amount of people that have said to me, have you had your lips done? And I'm like, no, no. Have you like done something to your face? I'm like, no, no, that's actually my teeth moved. Like, and that's only been what, three months? Yep. Yep. So obviously it's only a very short amount of time so far. <laughs> I'm but smiling it, it by the way. does make a big difference, particularly <laughs> where it's most noticeable is in those crowding cases, because as the crowding unravels, the teeth form a wider arch. And so we, it fills out the smile a lot more, supports yeah. the lips differently as well. But again, it all comes with proper supervision and assessment because for some people, simply unraveling, crowding and making things look wider pushes the teeth outside of where their actual jaws would allow. Those patients then are prone to getting significant gum recession, which is then a problem as well. So you need to know what the limits are, where you can move them, specifically for different patients, their types of gums, types of teeth, etc. So all of this comes with assessment. Again, something you wouldn't know otherwise. So when you were saying before that your teeth always move and somebody perhaps gets Invisalign, is it always suggested that they get a wire? How does that look ongoing? Um, not always, um, but some form of retention is is always required. And it depends on the types of movements where the teeth have moved to, depends on that patient's habits, whether they're a grinder or a clencher um, and the way that they eat and breathe and so forth. There's a bunch of things that can contribute to the changes, but the basic idea is that without doing something to hold teeth in their place, even for someone who's never had ortho, the way their teeth look at 18 versus 25, 35, as you keep going, they will constantly change throughout life. But when you've just recently had orthodontic treatment, then they're at their most vulnerable. And so that's where they need um, much more attention initially as well. Yeah, cool. When we're talking about wisdom teeth, I know that for me, I'm 33 and my wisdom teeth have never been removed, never come through. Why do some people get wisdom teeth? Why do some people not? Why do some people have to have them removed? Why do some people not? Um, so again, <laughs> so it comes back to genetics again. So specifically as to the reasons why you do or don't, that's a genetic factor and there's lots of different, um, you know, postulation around why that is. Um, so some like to think that 
these days we technically don't need wisdom teeth. They don't really fit so well with our modern diets. And so the with evolution of, you know, what's of change that people who don't have wisdom teeth are slightly further along the evolutionary really? trail. That's one one sort of idea. I have wisdom but teeth though. We don't have to talk about don't that. Don't I? No, no, you do, yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, <I'm sorry. laughs> just means you're, you're <laughs> I, thought, I thought that's where I'm you were not, going. I was like, no, so, no. <laughs> my, I'm just so wise that they want to stay in my head. That's well, that's why. exactly right. So sometimes <laughs> sometimes wisdom teeth fit perfectly. Uh, and if a wisdom tooth fits, at the end of the day, it's your third molar, right? So it's just an extra tooth. Uh, you've got that extra molar and it fits. Um, do you need them? Not specifically. The problem is for most people, they just don't fit. So mm. they end up growing on all these sort of funky angles, which, you know, make it impossible for them to come through or to come through only a little bit. And the moment they come through a little bit, they tend to be the worst ones. So the ones which are super deep and impact in the jaw where they're nowhere near coming through often sit there like unnoticed forever. Um, But the ones which are on an angle and start to come through a bit but don't fit properly, often they're the ones where people end up in the most pain. Is it true that when you have your wisdom teeth removed, if the surgeon does a really good job, that you won't have an entire black face, but if it's done in a really harsh way, that's when all the bruising will occur? Is there different levels of that? There is. The the way the teeth are removed does make a big difference in terms of how you recover, but there's so much more to recovery than just that because there are other medical factors at play there uh, regarding the, the patient themselves, uh, medications they may be on, the age they are at the time of having them removed, so being younger, uh, the, the bones are, are much softer and things that recover much better than someone who is forced to do them at a much later age as well. So there's a huge number of factors, but definitely the surgical technique makes a, a huge impact as well. And how gentle you are. Look at those gentle little fingers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's chat veneers. Now, I love the fact that all of the principal partners at Oasis don't actually have veneers. And the other day we're having this conversation and the whole thing about what your motto is and what you're trying to achieve is that you have a beautiful smile and people are like, oh, thanks, they're actually veneers. It's not something that you're like, oh, my goodness, check out their veneers, they look so fake. It's about creating that natural, beautiful smile that nobody can even tell is not natural. Yep. So when you are talking about veneers, what is some examples of veneers? What's the difference between composite and porcelain? All right. So I'm I'm even taking that step back to what you're mentioning in regards to the smile. So the first thing when it comes to like a smile assessment is really looking at what what is the actual issue because some people do come in wanting veneers, whether they're talking about composite or porcelain, whatever it might be. Um, But they don't, they, veneers aren't always the best treatment for them because they might just have a little bit of crowding and that's their main concern. They might want slightly wider teeth. So they can be tackled with some, for example, Invisalign and whitening. The moment you use your own teeth and you've got your own teeth in the right position and the colour you want, um, if you've got naturally good shaped teeth, then they're your teeth. That's They identify you. That's unique to you. And that's natural and beautiful. And they can be tweaked with little things like edge bonding when necessary. Now, when veneers themselves, in terms of particularly, say, like going to the porcelain veneer side of things, are most helpful are when we don't have perfect teeth, even when they're in the right position, right? So the teeth have been worn. There are colour issues that can't be addressed with whitening. There's issues with the enamel. Uh, there, there are some missing teeth or missized teeth. So we've got a range of different things going on, irregularities. We've had a number of fillings in the past. So there's 
bits of tooth structure missing. Now, in those cases, that's where porcelain veneers are fantastic because porcelain effectively is the, the most lifelike material we can use uh, and also the most hard-wearing and durable material uh, for teeth. So we can then do these little very minor preparations. We can then bond in these wafer-thin porcelain veneers from about half a millimetre thick and recreate what is effectively a beautiful natural smile. So it looks like you've actually just got your own teeth again. Um, and we can tweak that because we can incorporate the fact that they're now bleach, the colour that you want to be or whatever it might be. Or we can change them a little bit when suitable to suit someone's face better than what their teeth may have previously. Now, when you talk about that teeny tiny preparation, this yep. is what everybody's common fear is, getting their teeth shaven down to little pegs. And I swear that that's based on the fact that people had been going overseas and that's actually what's happened. Like I know one of my girlfriends went to India and she was working over there and her teeth are literally pegs, like tiny little stumps shaved down and she had beautiful teeth to begin with. And so there are those horror stories out there. However, how do you prepare the teeth here? <laughs> so the for someone who's having something like porcelain veneers, if if they've got their own teeth, number one, you actually want them to be in pretty good alignment to start with. Minor rotations are fine to deal with. And particularly when some cases are what we'd call additive mostly. So the teeth are a bit small. We want to build them out. So you barely have to touch the tooth at all. If it's heavily subtractive, so they've got portions of their teeth which are well beyond where you want the tooth to be, the worst thing can, yeah, yeah. So there's, they've got tooth sticking out here or there. They're too far forward, too wide. They're the ones where they really need to have the teeth repositioned first. Without doing that, you're cutting away huge amounts of tooth, and therefore you are compromising the longevity and health of that tooth. So the suggestion there would be Invisalign first, so and then exactly and then veneers. pre-alignment, and yep. then veneers. And sometimes the pre-alignment prevents veneers. And so when you are saying um, prepare the tooth, it's basically just like roughing up the edge, correct? Yes. And and when we rough it up, so to speak, we actually, these days, we keep them super smooth. So we like them to look smooth. We like these perfect little shapes and create just these tiny little, what we call a margin. So that's so that the veneer basically flows from the tooth perfectly uh, the same way that the enamel does from a, a root surface. I won't get too geeky. <laughs> Can you tell he loves teeth? I'm like, you basically tr- are roughing I'll it up and you're and like, no, 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 no. They still look smooth the way we rough it up. We keep them. I, am, <laughs> I, I am not kidding that when I when I started this podcast, I actually said I look over every night and I've seen so many TikToks and so many videos about it, but it's like Andrew loves teeth. He watches teeth. <laughs> on the toilet, he watches teeth in bed. He watches teeth in the morning. All he watches is teeth. He loves it. You get him started on teeth. I'll be like, oh, babe, how was your day? Well, <laughs> I'll see every single case from the 91-year-old with no teeth all the way through. So it's really good that you love teeth that much. And I'm so glad you're passionate <laughs> about something that much. Back to veneers. Yes. Is it painful? I'm just going to do a couple of fire answers. No, look, it shouldn't be. But in saying that, sometimes there are other adjustments occurring at the same time. You do go through a phase with some temporaries in there. You can go through phases with some sensitivity, which you may not have had before, or you may have had sensitivity before and it gets worse temporarily, that kind of thing. Some people do find that there's a – and so some people go through the phase and they'll go from – not having veneers through to having veneers and barely notice a thing. Whereas others will have some kind of ongoing change or adjustment, which may last even anywhere up to six months. So 
you need to be prepared that you may notice stuff. You might get sensitivity here or there because it does vary. Do they need to be replaced? Pretty much, <laughs> yes, at some stage. Um, the, the way that veneers are done onto otherwise healthy teeth allows them to last almost as long as a natural tooth does. But bear in mind that natural teeth also wear out and chip. Um, so over time, expect that you're going to eventually do some kind of damage or things might change to the point where you want to replace them again. Um, but we put them in in a permanent fashion, but think of it that probably sort of 10 to 15 years you might replace them. Yeah, cool. Now we we're talking just before about you being like a total teeth geek. The other day he was showing me this like plasma grafting video and I was... <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. It's very yeah. graphic. And I think he just is so desensitized to how graphic it is. But that's great. <laughs> I, talk about the <laughs> No, I actually do. Yes, I do. Because it's so incredible and so fascinating that that's something that you can actually do. But back a step, all yeah. on four. What is that? So you offer all on four um, within the Gold Coast. What is yep. that? So all on four is a treatment modality where we're replacing a full arch. Just think of your top arch and your bottom arch. So you've got two rows of teeth, right? So we're replacing a full row of teeth with as little as four dental implants. Um, when I say a full row, so like we we're talking about wisdom teeth being third molars, most people have 14 teeth, that's second molars. With an all-on-four, you'll replace 12 teeth. That's to your first molar. That's as far as you'll be able to see and functionally works very well. We can also put a couple of extra implants further back for extra teeth. But really the whole purpose of it, it's designed for people who have effectively got too much damage within their existing teeth and jaw bones, too many missing teeth, to now treat them with, for example, individual implants or segmented implants. So if someone knocks a tooth out, single implant is typically the best go-to, right? But if someone has lost a lot of support for teeth, have a lot of moving teeth, have holes in too many teeth, have lost too many teeth, then that's where all on four is a solution because we can more economically replace a whole arch of teeth and we can do it faster because we we, we join the teeth together with a bridge which uh, basically reinforces the implants. And is this kind of instead of dentures it is, it is specifically instead of dentures uh, and instead of uh, more complex rehabilitations where they otherwise need a lot more bone grafting procedures and other adjunctive procedures for teeth when, it, when it's getting really difficult because there's not much left. So, but for most people, it helps to prevent having removable teeth. This is the treatment that Andrew kind of like frosts on the most because it's the most... I don't know, life-changing and the people and cases that he sees are just, it's, it's yeah, it's so incredible how much of a difference it is. And a lot of people don't want to share their before and afters because it is such a huge, huge life-changing thing for them. And perhaps they've been bullied their whole life or whatever that looks like for them. And it's, uh, I'm, I'll, what I will do is I'll try and find one of the before and afters that has got permission to share so that you can see these types of surgeries because it is just, yeah, like imagine somebody with zero teeth or like one or two and it being an entirely different smile. Yeah, it can be zero, one or two, or it can be a bunch of teeth which are beyond repair. Uh, and often, and that's why I find it so rewarding because we're dealing with patients who have not seen us for sometimes 10, 15, 20 mm. years before they've been to a dentist and they've lived with this sort of 
shame uh, covering mm. their mouth. They've lived with pain, infections and so forth. And they've always felt like it's too late. What do I do? Um, and they finally find out what they can do or hear about it and come in for that consult and find out that we can literally transform them from that position, like by the next day, to having a whole new set of teeth. Um, so it, it literally is life-changing for some of these patients. Andrew came home the other day and he was like, this lady who he was treating was saying that the first thing she's going to go and do is go and eat. Oh, yeah. So she was talking about... Um, so. That we basically put their teeth in, you know, the next day or that week, whatever it might be. Um, but then she was literally talking about she hadn't eaten steak for 15, 20 years or something. So she was going to um, some, I think it was like an organic farm place where they basically stay there and they cook you up steak in different ways, like from the, the farm, et cetera. And, she, and it was like, it's amazing. You know, yeah. something where she's like just got ready to go. Um, all as a part of, you know, her reward for, you know, fixing her teeth. And it's literally life-changing because can you imagine not being able to eat the foods that you mm. want or have to cover your mouth when you speak or be that self-conscious? And that's why these treatments are, like, completely life-changing. So, yeah, I'll try and find one of the before and afters and we'll chuck that up in the Facebook group as well because, yeah, it's, it's really, really, really beautiful and, yeah, so powerful. Um, teeth whitening. Yes. This one is big. This one's a big one. This is probably the most commonly asked question uh, to me. And I know that even myself, I think you're going to be so angry at me when I say this, but I think I've probably promoted charcoal teeth whitening. His face. <laughs> He's like, oh, really, babe? <laughs> Tell me more. Teeth whitening. Do supermarket versions work? Um, oh, look, it really depends on what we're referring to. If you're talking about anything which is, you know, whitening within a toothpaste product or something like that, then you typically don't have enough time for those products to be in contact with the teeth to make a difference colour-wise. The, the difference is any product which is designed to clean the teeth of stains, such as a charcoal, um, can help if someone's got, like, stains on their teeth, Right. But at the same time, overused, they also contribute to wearing the teeth away and used enough can then make the teeth end up looking yellower. So their their use is much more minimal and they're not creating a true whitening effect of the tooth. That's where you need some kind of whitening agent, like a peroxide-based whitening agent. What is the best way to whiten your teeth? Um, the, the safest and most predictable way is still to be using custom trays with low-dose peroxide-based uh, gels which go in there. And so the customized trays allow you to apply them safely to your teeth because they fit you specifically, as opposed to like a, a big sort of mouth guard that you bite into and doesn't hold the gels where it should be. It happens within one treatment as well. Like my teeth, the bottom, like within one. You can um, see results yeah. straight away. Yeah. Um, and it's something which the results can be progressive as well. So you can build it up slowly. Yeah. Now, sometimes, like especially in what we're saying before about uh, patients not coming into the dentist like 10, 15 years, it comes from a place of like anxiety or fear. What is your biggest advice for somebody who is perhaps listening to this that is just like, I do not like going to the dentist. I do not want to go to the dentist. It's something that's just like. The, the best thing to do, you, you do need to find a way to get past that first hurdle just to get through the door, right? Mm. So look up um, a, a dentist, like do your research, look up places that when you look at them, it seems like somewhere you'd feel comfortable enough to go in. Know that when you go in for that first time, you, you don't need to be having any treatment done, right? So if you let them know, look, I haven't been for this long, I'm so worried, um, I don't know what to do. 
most places are going to really do their best to bend over and look after you. No, no, you know, dentists are out there wanting to get you in and to hurt you or to shame you, but just look up, make sure you feel comfortable before going in because once you're in, then at least it starts to open up where you're at, what your options are. And we've got so many different options to make treatment easier for you as well and to mm. guide that. So for some patients, they, they can't get beyond the anxiety around some part of a procedure, whether it be the, the local anesthesia, so the needle, or whether it be the sound of the drill or some other part of the treatment, um, we have options to manage treatment under some form of sedation. So that can be something simple, like for some cases, just oral sedation. For others, it can be like happy gas or there's intravenous sedation, often administered by an anaesthetist or general anesthesia as well. So there's all different levels of sedation that can be um, incorporated into your management depending on what you need if there's still that added level of anxiety. And now I know that that's not offered at every studio or practice and and you do take on quite a few overseas and interstate patients. And I recently had uh, one of the ladies that follow me bring her daughter up and she sent the most beautiful uh, message and she just could not have been happier with the result for her daughter. And they came up from, was it Melbourne? Yeah, that's right. Yep. And um, it was, yeah, it was, it was so, so, so beautiful and so powerful. So if somebody was listening at the moment and they're not um, from the Gold Coast or Pottsville or um, New South Wales, where and how, how do they get in contact? What's the best process for that to make sure that it's seamless to be able to get them in? Because as well, I know that it, it's not every every studio that somebody would walk into and feel comfortable as well. Like I know that you're saying it's um, without shame and that no dentist is there to hurt or to make you feel that way. However, I do think that's very, very um, short-sighted of like just specific to Oasis. And I think that's part of it as well. It's it's not clinical. You walk in and you feel at ease and it is so beautiful from the moment that you walk in and everyone is so lovely. Uh, and I do think that that's probably why a lot of people do come up here just to come to the dentist as well. Yeah. And like I said, um, no, no dentist is out there to make you feel a certain way. I guess the point of difference for us is we take many extra steps to specifically make, make sure that you yeah. do feel comfortable. We do create environments which, as you walk in, feel very non-clinical, mm. very much feel more like a bit of a spa, mm. uh, have a, a much nicer sort of, I guess, general vibe so that, and, and have, you know, a great team who then support us in that way because they, they know what, you know, what it's like to be in that position because we see it all the time. So we do deal with a lot of these situations where we've got these highly anxious style of patients coming in. Um, in terms of contacting us and what that looks like, because um, I do get some yeah. like DMs. DMs. And I, I'm, Here's my teeth. What do I do? With, and with Andrew's not, he's not good on socials. I, I'll get on <laughs> and then I'll see that there's a different section and it says all requests. And I'll see that I've had people who messaged me like 12 weeks ago and then I write something back or something. I'm like, sorry. Don't send him photos um, of your teeth. That's I, not the best I practice. No, I, don't, I don't mind. But, What's um, the best practice so that um, they actually get a response and get in and get the help they need? I mean, if they're, if they're responding to the um, Oasis Dental um, social DMs, feed, yeah, yeah, if they're yeah. seeing that, then that's that's monitored much more carefully, obviously, and you can be guided. Um, but there are different avenues otherwise through the website where there's different, if you're close enough, then there's like your book online buttons, but then there's other contact forms that you can fill out um, with specific requests as well. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Now, last question. What is your favorite treatment? 
Um, well, for me, as we sort of <laughs> touched on before, it's the full arch implant therapy. So it's it's making the the biggest impact in a such a quick period of time to these patients who have. Uh, you know, been in situations which have like affected them for not just years, but sometimes decades. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really, really, I will definitely get permission first and we'll post a before and after of the type of surgery that actually is because yeah, that's huge, massive difference. What I will do as well is I will stick a question box in our closed Facebook group on Flourish and Fulfilled for anybody that has any further questions, but where can listeners find you on social media if they're wanting to? Um. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, he's, like, he's like, I don't know. He's like, I don't know my handle. It's Oasis Dental Studio. Is uh, Oasis Dental Studio is, <laughs> and then his is, the is, is Doctor Andrew Figuera. And mine's here, yeah, Doctor Underscore. Okay, oh, don't a forget. Figuera. Oh, is it? There you go. Don't don't forget the underscore, and it's just A Figuera. So there you go. Um, if you want to c- continue the conversation, head into the closed Facebook group, which is just Flourish and Fulfilled Community, and Flourish and Fulfilled on Instagram. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank really you. Appreciate it. All right, I'll speak to you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>